Among a blizzard of executive orders coming from the Biden White House was a June missive telling agencies to buy American. But procurement law and regulation have required buy American for decades. Is there anything actually left to do? For one interpretation, we turn to venable attorney Dismas Locaria. Mr. Locaria, good to have you on. Great. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate it. And having looked at this executive order, uh, I'm trying to find out what is new here because agencies have to buy American, except when there is nothing American made that they need. So what do you see going on here? This has been, you know, a constant kind of political ping pong ball from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, even going back, as you mentioned, decades. But, you know, there are some nibbling around the edges that can be done. The executive order itself doesn't really do much. It just talks about an effort to do something. And we'll expect regulations out in the coming months on that. But there was some more recent development on that executive order as it related to exceptions. One thing the executive order talked about was creating a centralized body that would determine exceptions and publicize those exceptions. And that's starting to take shape within OMB. I think that's pretty significant because that's long been one of the kind of loopholes is that agency by agency, contracting officer by contracting officer, you could get exceptions. And contracting officers and program officials would prioritize the procurement over Buy America goals. But now that it's centralized with OMB, removed from that interest of getting the program accomplished, I think you're going to see a lot more difficult time for, for contractors to get those exceptions. These are what they call waivers, in other words, and the order seems right. to establish kind of a database publicly of waivers and why they were issued agency by agency. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I guess the question becomes, why are they getting waivers under Buy America as it stands now? Because there are certain commodities that are simply not made in the United States. I mean, laptop PCs, for example. There's a few, you know, in the uh, ruggedized area. But for the most part, right. they're assembled all over from parts all over, copiers, all of those things, the nuts and bolts that make any organization operate nowadays. Do they have something else in mind? Could they be aimed at software? Well, I think, and candidly, I think the COVID-19 pandemic brought some of this home, which is we have a dearth of manufacturing capability in the United States. And I think the administration wants to try to improve upon that in any way it can. You're right. Things like laptops and other high-tech IT equipment, it's unlikely that that's going to turn into manufacturing jobs overnight. But I do think that there's a lot of new technology coming online that the Biden administration wants to make sure that companies and organizations are planning to do some manufacturing in the United States. That way, you know, as new products are coming online, this is taken into account. And the order also calls for a senior accountable official in each agency. Is it your understanding this would be the procurement chief of a department, for example, or who might that be? I think that's probably right, but the order is not explicit on that point. And, you know, the regulations will spell that out more, but it's typically the head procurement officer for each agency. So I would anticipate that to be the case. And in your experience dealing with companies, what is their perception of what the government looks like when it's trying to buy American? It's a challenge because companies want to take advantage of that government marketplace. But if they're commercial companies, they're unlikely to change their manufacturing process solely to capture that government market unless it proves extremely lucrative. Now, if it does prove lucrative, you know, and those procurements are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, it avails themselves to what's called the Trade Agreements Act. And the Trade Agreements Act will allow organizations, companies to manufacture in countries that where we have treaties, 
Mexico, Japan, lots of other places, not China, not Malaysia, but a number of countries, Taiwan, where commercial organizations have manufacturing facilities set up. So the Buy America generally applies to the smaller dollar procurements, uh, whereas the trade agreements kicks in for those larger procurements. We're speaking with Dismas Locaria. He's an attorney with a Venable law firm. Yes, I was thinking of the federal vehicle fleet, which is mostly purchased, not completely, but mostly purchased by the GSA. And so many of the, let's say, plain Jane four-door sedans that they buy are made in Mexico, even under Mm -hmm. U.S. nameplates. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Exactly. Now, one big exception that I think is going to become important here, and we're going to be dealing with it pretty quickly here, is uh, Department of Transportation has their own domestic preference regime, and that applies to steel. And so when we talk about infrastructure and the new infrastructure bill, and that is a much less forgiving domestic preference scheme than the commercial commodities that we've been talking about. So that's another area to keep in mind is that when we look at DOT money, particularly through this infrastructure plant, steel and other raw materials, as well as rolling stock. So, you know, trains, cars, things like that. Those could all be impacted by that DOT statute that is much less forgiving, as I mentioned. I guess in the case of rail cars and transit types of cars like Metro, often the foreign manufacturers, it's worth their while to put a factory. I think there's a factory in upstate New York to assemble rail cars from Bombardier, if I have the company right, in the United States because of the high dollar volume of a single item there might be a couple of million dollars. Right. And so for those organizations and companies that routinely sell to the Department of Transportation, they well understand these domestic requirements. But it's noteworthy and and newsworthy that this uh, multi-trillion dollar plan is coming down the pike. And so What we see is lots of companies coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I want to capture this. I want to capture this this infrastructure. You know, there's going to be a lot of money flowing through this infrastructure bill. I want to capture that. But they don't realize that there are significant hurdles attached to that money. And the longtime players understand that. But the new companies, the new companies to the marketplace don't typically understand that. And they may already have operations set up elsewhere. And you mentioned steel, and I think even at this point in history, not only raw steel, but engineered steel parts are still more economical to source in other countries and ship here, often than having beams and pre-cut engineered parts made here. So that's an issue. But what about, like, I don't know, pre-stressed concrete components where, you know, they're lifted in place and you've got a bridge or the bottom of a building or something? Anything regarding that that you've seen? I think it will be an issue because it's about the manufacturing process. So you're taking prefab concrete and building a highway. I don't think the DOT will consider the highway the end product. I think they're looking at the raw materials that are being brought in. And I think that would be an issue. So the idea of prefab kind of concrete components, I don't think would pass muster necessarily. Yeah. And if new buildings get built, which let's face it, this infrastructure will cover anything anyone wants to call infrastructure. I mean, in the reality, (laughs) when the rubber meets the uh, engineered road, buildings could be part of this. So then you've really got all of the issues coming to bear, even the HVAC systems and components, the wiring and so forth. It's all subject to the fact that there's less expensive commodities coming in from overseas. Absolutely. And you have to consider, I mean, bridges, roads, everything is smart technology now, right? Smart roads, smart bridges, where they're going to have information technology components built in. 
So you're looking at all sorts of, not just your typical steel girders and concrete trusses, but rather you're looking at IT equipment as well. Reminds me of when Eisenhower said a B-29 bomber costs more than a brick schoolhouse. (laughs) That was a long time ago. And what do you expect from this Made in America office to be established at OFPP? Because there's not even an OFPP director in place yet. Well, I think it's going to be difficult to, to surmise that at this stage. But I do expect President Biden has a long track record of kind of domestic sourcing and blue collar kind of background. So I would anticipate that this is more than just a flash in the pan for him. And this is something that they're going to carry through with. You mentioned, you know, what else could be done on the Buy America? There's a U.S. component requirement set at 55 percent of the end product. You know, I think it's very likely that that gets bumped up more than just a few points. And that will, you know, have a significant impact on organizations that uh, look carefully at that component percentage when determining where and how to manufacture. So uh, it's hard to say exactly how this is going to take shape. But in the coming months, I think this fall, we'll have a much better sense. And and like I said, I think it'll be more than just a flash in the pan for this administration. Dismas Locaria is an attorney at the Venable Law Firm. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure, Tom. Appreciate it. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the All-American Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, 
the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. 
And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.